Hello and welcome back to Over My Dead Pod. I am Holly Spear. This is Kate Carter. And I'm Kylie Colwell. And today is my story and I'm going to tell you guys a story that both Kate and Kylie already know, but there has been some developments in this case, so it's going to be a little bit different. So I'm going to tell you a story that you both probably know, a story that for almost six years has haunted millions of people. For five years, there have been no major suspects, no big leads, no public tips leading to an arrest until recently, until just about four months ago. So let's get started. Delphi, Indiana is about half an hour from Indianapolis. It has a population of about 3,000 people. Delphi is a sleepy little town, which leaves young people with few options other than outdoor activities. Delphi was good for a scenic walk or hike through its network of trails and parks. This is where 14-year-old Liberty German and 13-year-old Abigail Williams lived. The two were 8th grade best friends. It was February 13, 2017, and it was a warm day in Delphi, Indiana. And so the two best friends were off of school, and they had to sleep over the night before, and they were spending the rest of their day together. The girls decided to take advantage of the warm day and the lack of social activities in the town. They asked Libby's older sister, Kelsey, to drive them and drop them off at the town's walking trails at about 1.19 p.m. This was normal for the girls. Although much of the trail was wooded, this was a popular hiking trail for most of the people in the area. This was more of a walking trail than a hiking trail um, because there's no steep inclines or high places. It was mostly an obviously marked trail that was flat or wooded other than an abandoned bridge called the Monin High Bridge or High Bridge, as the locals called it. The girls both had cell phones and felt comfortable following the leisurely trail. The families of the girls felt comfortable with the girls just hanging out and walking. So Kelsey, Libby's older sister, gives in and drives them down the road to the trails. Kelsey tells her little sister Libby she loves her and she'll see her later. The plan was for Libby and Abby to spend a couple hours walking the trails and then for them to call Libby's dad and be picked up in the same place they were dropped off. At about 2.05, Libby posts a Snapchat of a photo of the Monin High Bridge. The Monin High Bridge is about 63 feet high and it's 0.7 miles long, with a shallow creek running under it. The bridge is an abandoned railroad bridge, and it's just kind of a popular attraction for people in the area. There are no real guardrails on the bridge, so it can be a little treacherous to walk across, but this is kind of what drew outdoorsmen and probably kids to the trail. The Snapchat photo that was posted was just of the bridge with no caption, and you can tell the girls had, hadn't started walking across yet, but were just taking a picture of the empty bridge in front of them. At about 2.07, Libby posted another picture. This time, Abby was walking about halfway across the bridge. It looks like Libby is ahead of Abby taking a picture of her from in front of her, from behind. Again, they're on the bridge. This time, they're about halfway across, but no one is on the bridge with them. At 3.11, Libby's dad had not heard from the girls, but it was about time for them to be picked up. So Libby's dad called Libby's cell phone to tell her that he was on his way and to tell the girls to start walking that direction. He was going to pick them up in the same place that Kelsey dropped them off at. Libby doesn't answer. When Libby's dad gets to the pickup spot and there is no sign of Libby or Abby, Libby's dad calls his daughter again. Libby would never answer. Libby's dad waits around and gives the girls a few minutes to show up before he starts getting that pit in his stomach that only a parent can describe. He starts walking the trail his daughter was supposed to be walking that day. 
Libby's father expects to come across the girls hanging out, having lost track of time, or maybe in the worst case, one of them hurt themselves and was waiting for help. But when he walks the whole trail up and down for a couple hours and sees no signs of the girls, he knows something much worse is wrong. He calls Libby's grandparents. I think Libby actually lived with her grandparents at the time. Um, I'm not sure why, but he calls Libby's grandparents at about 4 o'clock p.m. that afternoon. The rest of Libby's family comes out to help look for the girls as the sun begins to go down. Libby's phone would eventually go dead. By 5.30, it was devastatingly obvious that something terrible was wrong. Libby's family alerts the police that the two teenage girls were missing somewhere along the trail. Too dark to search, the family went home for a couple hours to regroup and let the police look for the girls. Then the family returned in the wee morning hours of February 14th, with almost the whole community of the small town looking for their missing little girls. Hundreds and hundreds of Delphi townspeople came out to search for the missing girls. Suddenly, the searchers see a truck driving down the road, and at this time, all hope is lost. A coroner truck slowly pulls up to the searchers and parks at the trailhead. Abby and Libby's bodies were found in a wooded area about half a mile from the bridge. The girls' bodies were found beside Deer Creek, which is a body of water that runs along the trail under the Monon High Bridge. The manner and cause of death of Abby and Libby have never been released, and we also do not know if either of the girls were sexually assaulted. After reviewing Libby's phone, the authorities found a chilling photo that told the story of the girls' last couple of minutes alive. On Libby's phone, investigators come across a grainy image of a man walking on the trail. You can see the man is wearing light blue jeans and what looks like a navy blue windbreaker. He is wearing some kind of tan or brown cap with maybe flaps that cover the ears. It looks like the man has his hands in his pockets and you can't really make out a clear image of the man's face. The photo is pretty grainy, but it looks like the man's walking towards the girls looking down and a hat is covering the top of his face, but he is slowly walking towards the girls. Police released this photo to the public and asked the man to come forward. Obviously, this is odd, but the police are not calling him a suspect or a person of interest of any kind. They just want the man to come forward and report what he saw or heard about anything on the trail that could help the police find the killer. A couple of days go by, and after this mystery man never comes forward, police announce that this unknown man is the prime suspect in the case. Still, nothing happens. No one comes forward, and the man is not identified. February 22nd, investigators and multiple law enforcement agencies hold a press conference to say that they'll be releasing more key evidence from the case. The police released a small clip of a very chilling audio captured by Libby herself. The police say that this was captured by Libby's cell phone. They say there is more audio and video, but they will not be releasing it. But the public hears a couple of seconds of what Libby and Abby likely hear in the last couple seconds of their life. So, in my opinion, it sounds like the man is kind of instructing the girls to go where he wants them to go as he's walking behind them. Now, I don't know this for sure, but it's just my opinion. And I say that because we know from the photo that the police released that the man is walking behind the girls. And we know that the girls were found off of the trail about a mile from the bridge that they took the picture on. So, to me, it just kind of makes sense that he's instructing them off the trail to go down the hill. What's also really sad is that Libby obviously had the clarity of mind to know that she needed to take a video of this man. She knew something bad was about to happen to her and she thought to record what she might have known would have been her last minutes alive. The audio file is posted on the Indiana State Police website and the audio is blasted on news outlets across the country. 
hopes are high, and people pray someone will recognize this person's voice. There is also a sketch of a man's face released to the public. The man is wearing the same fedora-ish hat as before. He has thick, bushy eyebrows, medium-length hair that comes out of his hat on the sides. He has bags under his eyes and a round, large nose with thin lips and scruffy facial hair up the sides of his face and also kind of like a goatee, just like the full facial hair. I want to know how they got the sketch from that super grainy photo far away where you can barely see his face. Right? I know. Yeah. I mean, I know there has to be, obviously, like, I know that picture was edited after a few years to, like, make it more clear and whatnot. But looking at the picture, you can't, oh, I, you can see facial hair in the hat, but no eye features, no, like, face feet, you know, the nose you can kind of see. But that's a, I mean, that's a really good sketch for, yeah. but then again, we don't know everything that was on Libby's phone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And... There may be some more developments in the case later on that answer some of those questions. So we might get into that. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. So the FBI joins the investigation, but one year comes around to mark the anniversary of the girls' murders and no one has been arrested. This is where the case sits for another year. Two years later, it's 2019, and even with the FBI presence, there has been no real meaningful leads in the case. It's at this time that investigators share a hint more of information to the public. Just to add, we see this all the time. This is one of the reasons police hold back information from the public. Many times, holding back information can help solve cases because it gives police hints when they come across an individual that knows more than what they've released to the public. Or police know that tips are reliable when someone reports something the police know to be true. However, investigators release more and more censored information in this case to stir the interest of the public and spur leads and tips by piquing the interest. So, police release two things. They release a video. The video is of the same man in the photo, and the public learns that the previous still image of the man is actually captured from a short video of the man walking towards the girls. Investigators also release a second sketch. However, the second sketch may have caused a bit of public confusion. The new sketch looks nothing like the first sketch. The second sketch is of a much younger male with a clean face, more shaped eyebrows, a much smaller nose, curly hair that is more kept than the first sketch. The investigators tell the public that they have new leads in the case, and they now believe that the suspect is between 18 and 40, which is a really broad age range. Investigators tell the public they believe that they are close to closing in on a person of interest. Okay, so if you guys watch the audio and video. No, we can't like really see the face of the guy in the video, but this new sketch is definitely not it. I'm gonna right? Go, I'm going to go ahead and say too, just watching that three second clip of him walking, that's not how a young person walks. No. That's, like you that's can just not- tell that's not at 18. In fact, I would even say older than 40 with the yeah, hands was- in the pocket and everything, you know? That's I an mean- old dad walk. It is. I can just look at that little pipsqueak's face, the little yeah. new the new sketch, and tell you that's not that man. Yeah. No way. It's not that man. I don't know if maybe they got another eyewitness tip and they didn't want the public to be dissuaded from reporting something because the first... I said in the last episode that I hate police sketches because they can look like anyone. Yeah. But that... The first sketch is very, very... Like, that's a... That's a freaking black and white photo of someone. So 
I just wonder if maybe the, I don't know, maybe once the FBI joined, I don't know. I have no idea. But you're but... looking at a really good sketch of someone that you probably could pick out somewhere. And then the second kid that they sketched looked like I did it in my high school drawing class. Yeah. You know, maybe, like it doesn't. Maybe it's just as simple as they hired a new sketch artist and he just wasn't as good. There's a chance. There's a chance. I mean, there's so many things. But the like... two sketches are very, very different. They don't have any similarities except for the nose. Yeah. yeah. Very different. Very different. So this is what we have after we make the second release of the information. However, two more years go by and no arrests were made. But there were a few suspects along the way, ones that never led to an arrest. So let's get a little bit into that. September 2017, a man named Daniel Nations, who is a registered sex offender, was arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado, and was charged with threatening strangers on a trailhead with a hatchet. Police discover Daniel Nations was in the Delphi area when Abby and Libby were killed. It's also revealed that along with being a sex offender, Daniel was previously incarcerated for a domestic assault after punching his wife, Caitlin, and breaking her nose. All of his other charges were minor drug charges or driving with a suspended license. Daniel becomes suspicious to Delphi investigators when Daniel's parole officer sees the sketch and realizes it looks a lot like Daniel. And suspiciously, the month after the sketch is released, Daniel fails to report to his monthly check-in with his parole officer. So I guess maybe his parole officer just kind of like alerted, saw the sketch, thought it looked like him. He didn't show up to his next hearing or his next um, meeting with his parole officer. And that was apparently odd that he'd never missed a meeting. And so he alerted the Indiana. Which is good. That's what any parole officers or probation officers that are listening, please do that. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter if it ends up that the person isn't guilty for that crime. If you have any suspicions, turn them in. Yeah, exactly. So not a strong lead, but I mean, this is the first person that we've even seen be sort of interesting to police. Investigators on Libby and Abby's case start looking into Daniel and they rule him a person of interest. A warrant is issued for his arrest in another state for failing to check in with his parole officer. Daniel is found and arrested in Woodland Park when he was threatening the hikers with the hatchet. Like I said before, that's how he was found. Um, however, nothing ever comes of this. Obviously, there is some reason that Daniel is not arrested for Olivia and Abby's murder. When asked, police claim that they will not be ruling Daniel in or out as an official suspect. So to the public, that means they really don't have anything to charge Daniel. And in February 2018, authorities announced that Daniel is no longer considered an active person of interest in the Delphi murders. So what do you guys think? Do you think he looks like the second sketch? Because I think he... Okay, so the first sketch was a really good sketch. Now, I will say when you look at the two of them, you're like, absolutely not. That's not the same person. But if you look into the eyebrows, nose, and lips, that's the exact same. Like, look at those little baby lips with the goatee. That's almost exactly from the drawing. That's but exactly. I don't the think it was is, Yeah, the mouth is the same. The mouth is exactly the same. And so are the eyebrows. But the face in general, I mean, it would if it was him, it would be an okay sketch for to go off of. But I just don't think it was him. No. I don't get off. I get, obviously, red flag vibes from this dude. He's not a good guy. But I don't think it was him. Then, in July 23, 2019, Paul Etter falls on police's radar. 
Paul Etter was wanted for the rape and kidnapping of a 26-year-old woman about 30 minutes from Delphi. June 22nd, in the morning hours around 4.30 a.m., the woman had gotten a flat tire and had unfortunately pulled into Paul Etter's driveway. Etter asked the woman if she needed help, but the woman declined. The woman continued down the road, and this was questionable to me because I'm like, with a flat tire, like she continued, like, okay, and pulled into her friend's driveway down the road. Etter ends up following this woman in his car. When the woman gets out of her car, Etter handcuffs the woman and forces her into his car. He drove her to his family farm where he sexually assaulted her before driving her back to her car and letting her go. Etter was caught on June 27th when a police officer noticed Etter driving a truck that matched the description of a stolen vehicle. Police stopped the truck and this leads to a five-hour standoff with Etter and ends with him committing suicide. The neighboring county shared the information with Delphi investigators and for a while investigators looked for a connection between the cases. Many news stations raised alarm bells that there could be a connection to the Delphi murders. However, investigators were never able to find anything linking Paul Etter to Abby and Libby's case. So to me, obviously, does not look like either of the sketches, like just completely. Yeah, yeah. he looks like somebody's dad. He's like in his 50s. He's bald. I mean, balding. He doesn't look like any of the drawings. But I will say to go back what you said with the flat tire thing. If you got a flat tire and you knew that your girlfriend lived on that street, you're going to get that car to her house. You know, especially if you pulled into somebody's driveway because of the flat tire and they came out and you got weird vibes or something. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to drive that flat tire until it pops off my car. Yeah. You know, like I I would also do my best to get it to my friend's house. For sure. Yeah. I don't really understand why they looked into this guy for the Delphi murders. It's like a completely different... It is, but it was, but it was right near, I guess the whole young rape kind of thing. It was what, 30 minutes from Delphi. Yeah. And I don't really know if they focused hard on it. It was just something that the public kind of news stations and media started acting like there could be a link, but nothing ever came of it. I don't really know how hard this guy was looked into, but yeah. So. Then, an announcement is made. Police ask the public for tips about a local social media account they think could be linked to the murders. The social media account looks to be of a young, attractive boy named Anthony Schatz, who looked like he was probably around the same age as Libby and Abby. The account is filled with pictures of the same boy, and he's, like, posing in the mirror, like, taking self, like, shirtless selfies. However, police had already discovered that the man behind the profile was a very different looking young man named Keegan Anthony Klein, who was using the photos of a boy model on his fake Instagram account in order to lure young girls to direct message his fake profile for nude photos. In addition to photographs of young girls, police find out that Klein was asking for home addresses of the young girls he was communicating with. Klein was arrested and charged with child solicitation of pornography. This information obviously spurred police to believe that Klein may have something to do with the murders of Libby and Abby, since the fake account was actively soliciting young girls like Libby and Abby in the area at the time of the girls' murders. Police beg anyone who has communicated with the profile or who have online friends with him to come forward and give any information that they have. In a 2020 police interview, Klein admitted that he had communicated with 14-year-old Libby on Instagram and Snapchat through the fake profile. 
The transcript revealed that he had exchanged photos with Libby and that Libby had communicated with the fake profile on the very day that she was murdered. So was Keegan Anthony Klein the same man from the bridge? The body type seems to kind of match in my opinion. Klein has facial hair and medium length hair on his head, but Klein's hair is very straight, not curly like the second sketch. Klein looks way too young to match the first sketch and it's just, in my opinion, he doesn't match either of them, but I mean, what does that mean? Police raid the home of Klein, but he has never been charged with the murders. We don't really know if this is because there's no evidence or because there's no link at all. All we know is that in 2020, he was only arrested for 30 child sexual abuse and child exploitation felonies and is now being held behind bars for those charges. Let me just say, shitty human, awful, disgusting. He's much larger than the man seen in the video. Much larger. Like a good 50 to 100 pounds larger. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Yeah. I agree. I don't I don't think that he matches the sketches. I think he was just like a local creep that was yeah. actively pursuing all these little girls. It's yeah. disgusting. I don't but think yeah, it was I don't, It doesn't. No, it doesn't match no. the sketches at all. So, But horrible human. So I'm glad that he's in federal prison. Yes. Now, a fourth man makes his way onto the list of possible suspects for Libby and Abby's murder. James Bryan Chadwell II was charged with attempted murder, child molestation, kidnapping, and battery, resulting in serious bodily injury and strangulation of a nine-year-old girl in the neighboring county. Chadwell lured the girl into his house where he beat and locked her in his basement where he sexually assaulted her. The girl's parents reported her missing at about 7 p.m. Chadwell's neighbor was driving home from work. He turned into the alley of his home when he noticed that Chadwell was outside talking to a young girl. The neighbor recognized the girl as the missing girl, and within minutes, the police were dispatched to Chadwell's home, where he allowed police to search his home, and they found his victim locked in his basement, beaten, strangled, attacked by his dog, and sexually assaulted. Thankfully and miraculously, the nine-year-old victim survived. I feel like his neighbor had to have some kind of vibes that he was not a good person to like see him talking to a little girl and think something was like up. Immediately um, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So in my opinion, James looks the most like the first police sketch that was mm-hmm. released and even the video. James has longer hair that would definitely stick out the sides of his hat, just like the first sketch. He has bushy eyebrows and a thick nose and he has thin lips. He doesn't have facial hair down the side of his face, just a goatee under his lips, but I mean it's facial shaving hair, so is easy obviously shaving yeah. is easy exactly so i also think the man's facial shape really resembles what you can see from the first video i know it's very grainy but to me it's just it's the correct proportion right i think he looks the most like the first sketch but that's just my opinion yes yes <laughs> like this he yeah he fits the description the whole kidnapping raping of a nine-year-old right down the street you know is yeah. a big deal This assault obviously earned Chadwell's place on the Delphi police radar. However, like all of the suspicious men before him, police have never found a connection to them and the murders. Because Chadwell never was charged with anything related to Libby and Abby's murder. But here's the creepiest, weirdest part about James. News reports begin circulating about a particular tattoo that he has. James has many tattoos, but amongst his sleeve, is the faces of two girls on his arms. Two little girls that appear to be crying blood and they like their eyes or their pupils are not there, like just white eyes. And the tattoos look very 
very similar to Libby and Abby. So we'll post a photo on our website and you guys can tell us what you think. But what do y'all think? What do y'all think? Okay, so uh, this is Kate. Uh, obviously, I had known of the story beforehand, so I, I know of these details. I had briefly asked Holly during the break whether or not she knew of this detail and was going to talk about it because I think it's super important. The faces are of dead people. Let's just put that out. Like they look like dead, like they're dead or possessed, and they look identical to the two girls that were killed. The smiles are the same. The noses are the same. It's it's ridiculous. So that made me in this case very interested. Yeah, they're very the they're very identical. And it looks like they got or he got the tattoos from these exact photos. Yes, exactly. This episode. Yeah, exactly. So disturbing, disturbing. However, as we know, authorities have not connected Chadwell to the murder of Libby and Abby. During the years after the murder, police have these four men on their radar, and of course, police look into the men, and obviously found no correlation. Police never reveal why they do not suspect either of the four men were connected. But, are you ready for our final update of today? Yes, yes, yes. Just recently, October 26, 2022, local man Richard Allen was arrested for the murder of Abigail Williams and Libby German. This would be the first suspect to be arrested for the death. Two days later, on the 28th, he would be formally charged with two counts of murder. That day in October, Allen's arrest hit the news and media outlets play a video of Allen and Shackles being led into the Carroll County Jail. Allen's legal team asked for a change of venue, arguing extensive media attention surrounding the case that would make it difficult for Allen to get a fair trial in the county. The judge denied the change of venue. The judge also issued a gag order forbidding the case to be talked about. The order applied to anyone linked to the case, including Allen, his defense attorney, prosecutors, family members of suspects, as well as any staff in law enforcement, but not us. So here we are. We're good. Yeah. However, the gag order was requested before Allen's attorney released a three-page press release claiming Allen's arrest was driven by political motives of prosecutors. Then, in November 2022, the presiding judge unsealed the probable cause affidavit for the arrest of Richard Allen. The judge found that the public interest would not be served by prohibiting public access to the document, but that the witnesses and defendants' personal information would need to be redacted. With the release of the affidavit, the public learned more about the murder of Abby and Libby than they have known for the past five years. The affidavit reveals that investigators found a 40 caliber round less than two feet away from the victim's bodies. The round was unspent and had extraction marks on it. October 13, 2022, investigators conducted a search warrant upon Allen's house and investigators found a 40 caliber pistol in his home. The round and the gun was sent to the state crime laboratory and it was determined that the round had been cycled through Allen's pistol, which was found in his home. Now we know police can make identifications like this through ballistics. When a bullet is fired out of a gun, the barrel of a gun makes small divots or cuts around the bullet as it spins and is expelled from the gun. It's very interesting because it's almost like a bullet fingerprint because each gun has unique rivets and investigators are able to tell if a spent round has passed through that specific gun. So as we know, the bullet found at the scene and the gun found in Richard's home were a match for each other. Allen purchased a gun in 2001, and he told investigators that he never allowed anyone to use or borrow that gun. 
We also learn from the affidavit that multiple juvenile witnesses claim that they saw a male on the Monon High Bridge on February 13, 2017, the day the girls were killed. One witness reports that they were walking home on the trail when they encountered a male they described as, quote, kind of creepy, and said that he was wearing blue jeans, a light blue jacket, and his hair was maybe gray, maybe brown, but he did not show his face. He was not very tall, maybe 5'10", and had a bigger build. The witnesses say that they greeted the male with a hi, but he only glared back at them and walked on. A conflicting witness story says that the man was wearing all black, in a black hoodie, black jeans, black boots. A third witness also said hi to the man, but he said nothing back. She stated that the man looked like he was walking for a purpose, like he knew where he was going. He had his hands in his pocket and he kept his head down. Another witness says that she saw a male walking from the bridge wearing blue jeans that were muddy and bloody. The witness assumed that the male had just probably gotten into a fight. Another witness described seeing a vehicle that matched the description of Allen's 2016 black Ford Focus parked in the rear against a building near the trails at the time of the murder. The affidavit cites an interview in 2017 in which Allen had told investigators that he was on the trail between 1.30 and 3 p.m. on the days of the murder. So Allen puts himself near the scene of the murders at the time that they took place. Allen claims that he saw three females on another bridge on the trail called the Freedom Bridge, but he did not remember anything specific about them. But Allen claims he saw no, no one, no little girls on the bridge. And interestingly, the affidavit includes all the answers about the video on Libby's phone and how it came about. The affidavit states, The video recovered from victim 2's phone shows victim 1 walking southeast on Monon High Bridge while a male suspect wearing dark jeans, wearing a dark jacket and jeans, walks behind her. As a male suspect approaches the victims, we hear someone mention, quote, gun. So I guess that's another word that was in the audio that wasn't released, but Near the end of the video, the male is seen and heard talking to the girls saying, guys, down the hill. Then the video ends. A still photograph was taken from the video and the audio was subsequently released to the public. The document reveals clothes were found in the creek belonging to the girls. As we know, police probably have much, much more information against Richard Allen, but police tend to put bare bones in an affidavit like this so as not to leak out information they're building their case on. So just from like reading the affidavit, I mean, obviously we don't know their cause of death. We don't know the manner of death. We don't know if they were sexually assaulted, but the fact that they found the bullet, the gun, like we can just assume that they were shot. And um, the clothes. And the clothes, we can probably assume they were sexually assaulted. Just, yeah, probably. So what do we know about Richard Allen? We know that Richard Allen is a well-known member of the community. He's a licensed pharmacy technician who worked at a local CVS store. The family of Libby and Abby has said that they didn't know Allen, but that in this small town they could have likely crossed paths with him. Libby's grandmother claims that Allen once processed photos for the family at the CVS store in Delphi, and he didn't charge them for the photos. Employees Allen worked with said that they were shocked and said that Allen blended right in that they would have never suspected him in a million years. Owner of the now-closed bar, J.C.'s Bar and Grill, claimed that Alan and his wife would come into the bar three to four times a week and play pool. So we also know that Alan, at least at one time, had a wife. Police records show Alan relocated from Delphi from Mexico, Indiana, in December 2006. 
and his home is reportedly not very far from where the bodies of Libby and Abby were found. Allen has only minor traffic violations on his record. But one more thing we also know about Richard Allen is that he posted a picture of himself and his wife at a local tavern, and in the background of this photo was a police sketch of what now could possibly be himself hung on the wall behind him. So, a little interesting. And this is really all we know about Richard Allen. Libby's grandfather, Mike, wore a shirt with the words, Today is the day justice will be served for Libby and Abby. He wore this to the first news conference declaring the arrest. Allen entered a plea of not guilty at his initial hearing, and he will be held without bond. Richard Allen appeared before the court January 13, 2023, in a 10-minute-long hearing to consider motions brought before the court. The trial was originally scheduled in late March. However, after the hearing in January, it is evident that the state still must turn over thousands and thousands of documents to the defense for discovery, and it is likely that Allen's attorney will need more time to build their case. However, inevitably, Allen will eventually face trial, and hopefully in this year, 2023. But the families of Liberty German and Abigail Williams still sit and await justice for their two little girls who were hardly teenagers. When I saw that Holly was going to do this case, I got a little excited because I knew there had been a very recent update on it of 2023, you know, and we're at the end of January, so it's not that much time has gone by. But I will say for about two years now, I thought it was suspect number three or four. I can't remember which one he was, the one that had the goatee. Um, He fit the description. He came with all the evidence possible that he could have been there, stuff like that. But that being said, Richard Allen, there's actual evidence. There's physical, tangible evidence linking him there. So he looks nothing like the sketches. Police sketches tend to not really help that much, I would say. But in this case, he would not have been picked out of a line if it had been up for sketches. So I'm definitely interested to see how the trial is going to play out on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's probably a ton more evidence that we don't know, but... I, I, yeah, like you, Kate, I cannot let go of suspect number four. Like, he just looks, he just, I don't know. I don't know. And he's got the background of it. You know, like, he was just charged and arrested for the rape and kidnapping of an eight-year-old. He obviously targets younger people. This will be interesting. This will be interesting. Because this guy, if you look at his mug shots, he looks like he has killed somebody. But he does not fit the description of the person on the bridge. So it isn't. But I will say he is more age appropriate compared to the other suspected murderers. So that'll be interesting. I'm excited for the trial. And I'm, I definitely will keep track of that as well with you guys. I'm more, I don't know, kind of interested into like the why and how. Yeah. Like this just seemed like completely random. He just happened to be like out walking and he ran to them and decided to do this. And he has no other criminal history, like no other signs of this ever happening. That we know of. That we know of. True. It'll be, it'll be interesting to keep up with it. So of course we will keep you updated on any developments in the case in our segment that we now have after every show called Overtime. But for now, that is the murder of Abigail Williams and Libby German. Okay, so now we're going to jump into our segment of the day called Overtime. So we'll let Kate go first because Kate always goes first. All right, you guys, I've got a good story and an unfortunate and sad one, but this is really recent. So we're coming at you today. It is at the end of um, January, but 
you guys may have heard this story by the time you listen to our podcast, but on on Wednesday this past week, Massachusetts woman is facing murder charges and the death of her children. So what happened is Tuesday evening, about 6 p.m., a man came home to his wife and assumed she had attempted suicide. So she had jumped out of their second story window in their house right outside of Boston in a town called Dewberry. And so first responders came to the scene. They located the woman. She was 32-year-old Lindsay Clancy, and they treated her on the scene before transporting to her hospital. Unfortunately, what was found in the house was even more sad. So first responders entered the house and they found the three young children inside the house. So there were two kids upstairs, Cora Clancy, who was five years old, and Donson Clancy, who was three years old. Both kids had already passed by this time and were strangled to death. A seven-month-old baby who hasn't been named due to age was flown to a Boston hospital for treatment. And unfortunately, this morning, we found out that the seven-month-old did not make it and had passed away due to his wounds as well. Um, Now, there are reports going back and forth whether or not the seven-month-old was also strangled or if the mother jumped out of the, Lindsay jumped out of the second story window with the baby. So right now, unfortunately, three children are dead. We are unsure on Lindsay's condition at the moment. It's unknown. So we hope that she can get better and this is able to be figured out. But for those who haven't looked into the case yet, unfortunately, it is currently looking like it is a postpartum breakdown. From what we know, Lindsay, who was 32 years old at the time, had three kids. She was currently going weekly, multiple times a week to a postpartum depression therapy group. And she would go and have talks and sessions. So she was already doing this in her life. Postpartum is something that controls and dictates women completely differently depending on who the woman is and how her body reacts to it. So postpartum breaks do happen. And in a case like this, most likely it is something that she had a breakdown. It happened in the moments and it was a murder-suicide on her end. What is sad is that due to the deaths and how horrific they were when the first responders found the kids, um, Lindsay is currently being charged with with murder. So we will keep you guys updated on what this case goes on and what happens. We most likely won't hear anything until later on in the year, um, just due to the mental health impacts this case has. They're going to have to do a lot of research before they actually go to trial. And who knows, she may end up, unfortunately, in a mental hospital for the rest of her life. So really sad. It just makes you, the the thing that I want everybody to kind of understand from this story is, yes, it's awful. Yes, it's horrible. But as a woman of age that a lot of our friends are having babies, you know, I've got family members, I have kids now and everything, postpartum is real. And it affects every single woman that has a child, regardless if they know it or not. There are changes to your body and your system that make you do uncontrollable things. And it's super sad. And that people looked into it more than it is right now. You know, you hear postpartum and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, you're depressed. So it's really sad but I'll keep you guys updated if I hear anything going on later on down the line. Very Andrea Yates-esque. It really is. And that was, that was a psychotic postpartum break for those people that don't know too, what, and Kylie was referencing too, is we do have prior cases that have happened where mothers have drowned their kids in bathtubs or done strangulation. 
Sad story. Thanks for starting this off with that one. Yeah, yeah. You have. I have to. I have to. I've got a weird one out of Camden, South Carolina. You guys know those like clothing donation bins? Like they're those tall metal bins, like on the side of the road. You put clothes in, donate them to people. Well, in Camden, South Carolina, some people were walking by and noticed a foul odor. Oh no! Looked inside, oh. and there was a body. Stop it. Like almost completely decomposed. So this was like New Year's Eve in Camden. And police realized that the donation bin, side note, hadn't been emptied in years. So maybe don't donate your clothes to those. Just take them straight to Goodwill. Side note. So they originally said it was going to take like months to identify this body because of the decomposition. But I guess there was still a tattoo intact. And they identified the body as 47-year-old Leslie. I'm not even going to try and pronounce her last name. It's L-E-M-O-I-N-E. And she was reported missing in March of 2022. So she had been there for nine months. Wow. Wow. Somebody stuffed her body into a donation box. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a, a, I feel like a human could fit through that slot. I'm not going to lie. Cause you can put shoes in there, stuff like that. Like it's a big enough box, but like to dump a body. This actually isn't like the first time I've heard of this. Really? Like I, I should probably look it up. But, like, I know it's pretty common for, like, homeless people to go in there and, like, sleep. Okay. I can see that. I mean, warmth. You're with clothes. So. I remember a live PD episode where they found someone in there Mm -hmm. um, and who jumped out. So, I guess people can fit in there. I love Um, live PD. RIP live PD. Yeah. RIP. But, yeah, they are still investigating as to what happened. Wow. That's an interesting one. Very interesting. Holly finishes out. So mine is out of Arizona. A 15-year-old and 17-year-old were found dead in a water basin and positively identified after they were reported missing from a local group home. So, yeah. The medical examiner is conducting an autopsy to determine the cause of death, but investigators suspect that the girls had been in the water for several days. Police believe foul play could have been a factor in their deaths. Like, okay, obviously. But um, anyways... They disappeared January 7th from their group home in Arizona, and they were reportedly not required to stay, but officials from the home allegedly took steps to contact officials that the two teens had left. Following their standard operating procedure, they encouraged the teens to stay, but in the end, they chose not to stay, and of course, immediately the staff went into action, and they called the hotline and caseworkers, and then not too long later that the girls were found dead in the water basin. So interesting. Can I say something too? So I pulled it up while Holly was talking to look at a picture of the girls, but something that I found very interesting is that the group home and the basin where they were found is on the same road. Oh, it's, it is, looks like maybe a mile, two miles apart from each other. They were, it was on East Southern Avenue. The group home was right off of East Southern Avenue and the basin is off of East Southern Avenue. So they didn't. So they didn't go far. So I'm thinking there's some connection. Hitchhiking gone wrong. Walking down the street gone wrong. Somebody did something. They met up with somebody. Yes. Yeah. Super sketch. That's so sad. They were young too, 17 and 15. And with that, this was Over My Dead Pod. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to stay tuned for a new episode next week. Additional information about this case, including photos 
can be found on our website, OverMyDeadPod.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. Bye. Bye. Bye.